all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard. It's what you make of it. But what if only struggle surrounds you? What can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair. Please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through. Just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see. You are not alone. You have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know. But if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up because you got this. If you quit, think of all the opportunities that you could miss. We are all full of authentic points of view. Myself alone have at least 22. They come from the things that we have been through. Those things can either make or break you. Life is full of ups and downs. It's our choice to either smile or frown. Please choose to smile today. Because it's one thing that's free to give away. People say that life isn't hard, it's what you make of it, but what if only struggle surrounds you, what can you take from it? Life can be hard and some things aren't fair, please listen to others just to be aware. All I'm saying, you never know what someone's going through, just because they look happy doesn't make it true. Hopefully this podcast will help you see, you are not alone, you have at least got me. We are more alike than you may know, but if we stay quiet, we will never grow. Don't ever give up, because you got this. Think of all the opportunities that you could miss. Okay, so I'm so excited because of today's guest. He is amazing. I know you have seen him before. So I'm so thankful and grateful that he is willing to speak to me and you guys. His name is Larry I'm willing to speak to anybody. Yay! I'm willing to speak to anybody. Anybody (laughs) who wants to talk, fine. If you can find me. Oh, that sounds very tricky. If you can find him. Okay, so I found him (laughs) through somebody. So I'm so thankful for that. So, so excited. Larry Hankin, yay. You have been on, oh my gosh, what, 50 plus movies, hundreds of shows, um uh, the, the final count is uh, i think what 202 I, that, I found that from podcasters they tell me wow. i don't follow me but podcasters has Amazing. told me i've done uh, 202 tv movies and and, and movies you know, episodes and movies okay know, yeah. wow okay so first of all thank you so much again for coming on and speaking with us i am so excited to talk to you okay don't so. get too excited or we won't <laughs> be able to talk, okay? Okay. I'll try to I'll try to limit my keep it down. Keep, keep it down. It, Just keep no, it down. Nobody tells me that, Larry. That's just hard to do. <laughs> well, that's Mr. Heckles. That's not me. That's Mr. Heckles. That's first of all, talk. okay. Yeah, that's not where we were gonna get started, but let's talk about Mr. Heckles. First of all, I absolutely love Mr. Heckles. Okay. 
And so when I was um, looking up information and stuff, it said, like, is Mr. Heckles alive? Like, it's so funny. <laughs> so Mr. Heckles. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go. Uh, no, go. Okay. Yeah. So no, Mr. Heckles. Now, you started, you had a background in improv. So did you get to improv any of that? Or was it all scripted? Or because I just love that character. It's so amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a great character. Uh, no, I didn't improvise at all. It's, okay. It was written. I just did what was on the page. So okay. that's why it's so so great. I didn't have to work at all. I just memorized the lines and and, and did it. Uh, but he's a big, fa you know, he's a famous character for me. I mean, uh, but you asked a question that was really interesting. Is Mr. Heckle still alive? <laughs> and um, the, theoretically, he's dead, and theoretically, he's alive. And I'll, I'll explain that. Yeah. In the on the show, he got he had a heart attack because they needed a place for a Chandler to move. Yeah, that's why he got cut from the program. It, it wow. wasn't the writers' thing. It was Chandler had moved out or got thrown out. I don't know. I don't know the plot of why Chandler was out of the apartment and he wanted to get back in and they didn't want to fire him. I mean, he's an important part of the makeup of the show. So they, they said, my God, you know, w when they wrote that he was fired, they figured, well, you know, he'll just get another apartment uh, in another building or something. But even in the same building, but then they couldn't get him into the show. In other words, if he, he if he got an apartment in, in, in the same building, how, how does he get into the show, the show's apartment? How, why does he come over every week if he's in another apartment? So they couldn't figure that out. So they thought, well, Mr. Heckle's apartment is right across the hall. So if we got rid of Mr. Heckle's, he could move in there and just walk over borrowing sugar or just walk in or they invite him back in. But that was as close and as good a uh, a solution to the problem they created for themselves. They didn't think ahead, you know, well, where will Chandler live? How will he get into the, the show? So they they gave me a heart attack and moved me out. Okay, so the theory was that I had a heart attack and I died. Well, I, after after a couple of years of not doing the show, you know, my, my character was gone. Uh, I got an offer from Cameo, you know, the uh, where you can wish people happy birthday yeah. and stuff like that, you know, yeah. Cameo. Well, they wanted me to do all the, the all the people who called in and say, oh, you know, Larry Hankin, you know, I wish, you know, wish this person a happy birthday. Do it as Mr. Heckles. Now, Mr. Heckles had died. So me, Larry, I couldn't figure out. Well, that happened years ago. That happened like two years ago. Now they want Mr. Heckles to wish him their friend a happy birthday. How do I do that? So the only way I could explain it was when they got me to the hospital, they revived me. They, oh, they, okay. they cured the heart attack. But my apartment was already released, so I'm living in another place. But now I can do cameo and be Mr. Heckles and wish people happy birthday. So that's the story of <laughs> is Mr. Heckle alive or not? I resuscitated him at the hospital. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you have good power. We're the producers. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, okay. Let me ask you also about Mr. Huggles. So, okay. Uh, 
I think you wore a robe a lot in that. Like you were just, yes, I love it. And so there was animals involved. So how was it working oh, yeah. with a monkey? Like when you, when Mr. Heckles stole the little capuchin uh, <laughs> monkey, how, how did that work? Like, was it really cool working with a monkey? Have you worked with animals before that? There's two things that, that there's, there's two rules about acting that, uh -huh. that you should always adhere to. One is don't work with children or animals. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's it. Well, I thought it was really great working with the monkey because I don't think the monkey was getting paid enough bananas to do what they wanted him to do because he was, you know, he wouldn't do anything. He would just run around the set and uh, the director, which was uh, at this particular point, was Peter Bonners, Peter Bonners, who was a friend of mine. Okay. I mean, it had nothing to do with, with, with acting or directing. From from the committee from the old days. I mean, we worked together as you know, brother brother actors in the committee in San Francisco. So when I did this show with the monkey, and Peter was acting, uh, was directing. Now he's very serious. He doesn't he doesn't have a very good sense of humor. Although if you put him on a stage and you pay him, he's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> I would just go out. In the audience, every time you go on the stage to improvise something, and I just watch him just to laugh. But he's, you know, I guess really good comedians don't have a, a sense of humor about themselves, uh, including me. Uh, I can laugh at what you do, but if you make fun of me, that's not funny. Yeah, so right. anyway. <laughs> So I kept on. So the monkey is running around, and I thought it was really funny in the cast. And everybody, the crew, was trying to capture the monkey because he would just <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And, you know, we'll have time is money on a, on a TV set. Yeah. You know? so, so it was getting kind of weird. And I thought it was, it was funny. And Peter was directing and he had to control the monkey. I mean, everybody looked, you know, Peter, Peter, the monkey, we can't get the monkey. So my, my relationship to Peter was, Peter's my, my friend not my director. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think of him as my director. Yeah. I thought of him as my friend. So I was just like, you know, giving him a lot of shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he was, you know, and everybody said, hey, Peter, we got to get this thing going. What's going on with the monkey? And I thought that was ridiculous. I thought that was so funny. You know, my, my buddy is, you know, he's hung up with a monkey. Uh, you know, I guess one of the rules is, you know, as a director, don't direct children or or, or animals. Oh my! So God. we didn't get along on that set at, at all, and and Peter was just having a, a lot of problems with the, with the monkey. And I just remembered, I mean, I marked in my mind, okay, the saying "Don't work with children or animals" is true, Larry. Keep <laughs> that in mind. <laughs> you know, or direct. If you ever direct, don't direct the monkey. Oh. So uh, that's that's the the story. To this day, he still kind of holds it a, a grudge against me oh, for that no. for that one day. Yeah, I mean, he he um, he doesn't like to get into funniness with me because he's afraid I'll just make fun of him or something. I don't know. Oh. But we 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 have a very touchy testy relationship at the moment 
for years because of that one day. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. So I have another question. Uh, apparently I want to talk about animals. So you did work with another animal and it was a cat. So the episode was like, there wasn't a Bob cat. Buttons. Like hid the cat. Bob Bob buttons. Oh, Bob buttons. Okay. So what, what happened with that cat? Did it, did it injure you or what happened? Like in real life, like not on the scene. Well, it, it, uh, it really did injure. Oh, wow. Um, um what's her name? You know, the, Jennifer uh, Aniston. No, no, no. The the, the ditzy character. Oh, the, Lisa. Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, Lisa Kudrow. Uh, so she was. It was her and the black-haired one. Um, Ross. Who, oh, the, Monica. The female. Yeah, Monica. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lisa and Monica came to my door. Uh, they said. Uh, I don't. I don't know why they kept there, but but Lisa had the cat. Now, the whole point of this of, of the injury is, I mean, she lived through it. It's not a bad injury. I'm, I'm not talking about anything dangerous or anything. But um, but there was blood involved. Oh um, uh, they came to my door, Mr. Heckel's door, the apartment door, with the cat. But I don't know why they came to the door. I, I don't know. Oh, maybe they thought it was my... No, because they said, no, this is not your cat. Anyway, um, they knocked on the door. And we rehearsed for a week without the cat because it was too expensive, oh. I guess. So Lisa would always come to the door like this, you know, miming, pantomiming a cat. And she would pet it and do the scene. Okay, fine. Uh, th that was that was the flaw. That was the mistake. You, you do not rehearse without animals. I mean, because the same thing with the monkey. During the rehearsals, during the week, we didn't rehearse with the monkey. There was no monkey. We we just said here, okay, the monkey goes here, blah blah blah. So when the monkey showed up, for the, the monkey wa wasn't used to anything, nor was the cat. Wow. And I kept on saying, now the monkey, I didn't even know about that and when i showed up on the set there was the monkey and okay so there's a monkey big deal and let's just rehearse this and then all hell broke loose but when the but we started rehearsing without the cat and lisa just pantomime i already knew i said this is not good i, I was just thinking and it wasn't funny i just kept on saying we're rehearsing without an animal and and that's that's like a no-no I mean, I, I just, I, I said, this is not going to go well. But I didn't say anything because I didn't want to cause any trouble. I'm a new guy. I wasn't getting along with the cast at all. I don't speak to anybody. I do my job. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a blue-collar actor. I just go in. I do my job. I say my words. I go home. That's it. And, you know, if you want to talk, fine. I get along with the crew, okay. But actors on the set, and I, I understand they don't like they don't like to schmooze or talk, and I re respect that. Me, I'm the same way. So, uh, okay. So now the day of the sh of the shoot, and the cat wrangler comes in, and he gives Lisa the cat. The cat was really cool, you know. She gives Lisa the cat. She's petting it. They got along fine. So I'm thinking, well, maybe maybe this is different. Maybe this time is different. But we rehearsed with the cat earlier, you know, right before the show. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, everything was fine. Everything's cat. Bah, bah, bah. Okay. The show. Now there's an audience. There's a there's music. There's a yeah. guy telling jokes. There's hundreds of people around. We're moving stuff. And there's, there's no cat yet. We're just doing the show. And then, okay, this scene comes up with the cat. And the wrangler comes with the cat. And, and now this is what we've been, we, we did in the afternoon, earlier in the afternoon with the cat. It gives it to Lisa. Cat's fine, petting the cat. And now the audience comes in and the wrangler gives Lisa the cat. We're going to do the sh- And all of a sudden, the cat is tense. You could see Aww. her hand. Lisa's hand is not like this. It's like this with the, on the cat. It's She's holding the cat so it doesn't run away. The cat didn't want to be there. I don't know. The cat maybe didn't like the scene. He didn't have funny lines, whatever. <laughs> the cat wasn't into this. No, it wasn't well, his This dance. whole thing. <laughs> So, yeah, so we were doing the scene. Now, um, we, we shot the scene with the audience. And Lisa's holding the cat. And I noticed that the cat is really, and but it wasn't meowing. It wasn't like, I wasn't doing that. Because then we would have to cut. I mean, the noise, you know. But it was struggling. And she would, and she kept doing the scene, you know? I mean, she's doing the lines. She's getting her cues. It was an amazing piece of acting for Lisa. She's an incredible actress. She wasn't, you know, what do you call it? Losing her focus at all, you know? She's just, but, but you could see she was really fighting with that cat and saying her lines normally. It was a wonderful thing to witness. But me and um, Monica were fascinated with what was going on with this actor, but saying our lines. It was it was the weirdest Aww. two realities going on at the same time. Poor Lisa and keep doing the scene. Uh, and she, so finally the scene is over, thank God. The scene is over and it cut and immediately Lisa steps back holding onto the cat and she, she wouldn't pull it away from her. She she just kept it like this. And she walked over to the wrangler, the cat wrangler, and she was going to, you know, give it to him like, hey, man, this cat is weird. It's going to run away. You know, mm-hmm. catch it. You know, get it good. So in the handing over, the guy thought, well, it's my cat. So he was kind of loose about it. And the cat just leapt up into the air. Oh. And was... <laughs> and he's all backstage right and he just and uh the director knew immediately what was happening because the cat was gone they wanted to shoot it again because of the the cat thing the fighting with lisa but it was gone so the so the director said that's it it's a one take thing we're moving on we'll never find that cat Uh, which was true and, and so everybody was concentrating on where is the cat? Can we do the scene again? No, we got to move on. Let's go. We're losing time. We're losing money. We got an audience waiting. Yeah. And Lisa is being taken to the nurse. And oh. I go, what the hell is going on? And her arm was just clawed. Oh. The, whole, the cat was just clawing her. 
like that. And she didn't say a word, man. She just said her wow. line. Wow. Yeah. How so impressive. We, we all thought Lisa was very brave. You know, and then finally yeah. she came out. And there was like a couple of bandages, but they just, you know, it was just scratch marks and stuff. And there was, she had bled, you know, because the cat scratcher. But, you know, she didn't want anybody to pay any attention to it, whatever. I don't know. Maybe she had a long sleeve shirt on and she covered it up. But that was, it was kind of weird because with the monkey, it was funny because we couldn't shoot until we caught the monkey. <laughs> and once we caught the monkey, he did, he did okay. You know, yeah. it was just catch the monkey, put him in a cage. That was his part. Get, get the monkey, put him in a cage. Once we put him in a cage, it seems so. But with the cat, we had to do an entire scene with the cat on camera and we couldn't shoot it again. The cat was gone, man. And they didn't bring an extra cat, you know, like a stand in, <laughs> you know. I mean, so twins, you need twins, right? Like children, you bring a twin cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and also I was thinking, you know, for, for the for the friends being such a big, huge, monstrous hit that it yeah. was by yeah. then, for them to just be cheap and not bring the cat to the rehearsal when it's in the entire. I mean, I thought that was really chintzy of them, <laughs> you know, cheapo. I mean, it was really like uh, to, to send one of your stars to the nurse's quarters to get bandaged up is, you know, not worth the price of bringing the cat in at least two days a week or maybe one, you know. Well, one other day. Anyway, that that's the story of the cat. Wow! Holy moly! How impressive! See, show business, show, show business is not what you think. It's tricky. See, no. well, these two stories, yeah, it's very tricky, yeah. man. It and, is. and that's what show business to me is all the time. It's it's when it goes well that I don't remember it because it went well. You know, you go in, you say your lines, and you go yeah. home. Yeah. Nothing happened, and I don't remember that show, but. 99.9% .9 of the shows I remember because something goes on that's just weird <laughs> or bizarre or out, you're just not, not regular. And yeah. that makes it funny or interesting to me. And I can, I remember it. And that's the, the stories I tell. And when I wrote my, uh, I got a book coming out called that guy. Yeah. Like, oh, you're that guy. Uh, so it's coming out in September. So it's so a long way off. But it's about showbiz. It's about what we're talking about. It's about all the shows that I did and all the things that happened. And it's called That Guy. But the subtitle is A Cautionary Tale. Because in each thing, it's a very funny book. Yeah. But in each thing, the thing that's most funny about all these shows is like the cat and the monkey. It's the, the, the things that go wrong or just are weird but maybe are weird in a good way. Like sometimes something so weird happens that it's hysterical and they keep it in because, it's, oh man, that's, you know, it's like a mistake or an improv or whatever. Okay. And they keep it in. So those are the kinds of stories. And that's what I liked about show business is, is the, 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 the fuck ups, the screw ups, the, uh, yeah. the mistakes that, that either happen and are kept in. I've done a couple of those or mistakes that, you got to ignore and shoot around or fix, you know, the, the crews are really great with that. Um, 
they, you know, just get bailing wire, string and tape and fix anything, even digital stuff. They just get, they just fix it. The crews are amazing, man. They're geniuses. As a, as a, as a group, it's a genius. They, you know, something goes wrong. The ceiling. Well, one time, um, or they just do their job really well. Like one time yeah. on uh, Home Alone, the, the lights above my scene, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these Hollywood Cleave lights and stuff, uh, they were on too long. They got hot and they exploded. So they rained down, you know, oh my God. a glass and all over the set. So they had to clean it up. So time, again, time is money. It is a big feature. It was Home Alone. Yeah. So we had, a, and it was all over the set. So we had a, everybody had to clear out and the crew came in and had to clean up that glass, which is not fun. But, the, you know, and, but they know, the crew knows about time is money. I mean, that, that's their whole job. You know, fix it and get out of there. Yeah. And they just did a bam like that. You just see these guys come in and it was gone. No glass. Holy cow. That's, that's amazing. amazing. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, is. So. It's a fascinating. So I actually, uh, yeah, not serious, but I did a little bit of background acting like five seconds. Uh, so <laughs> I didn't understand all that went into it. So it was a movie, um, Red Notice. So it was The Rock. So they call him DJ on set, Dwayne Johnson and Ryan Reynolds. And so we're there the whole day. So it was a three day shoot for one scene. I did not know that's how real life was. And so the the stars weren't even barely out there. Like it was like behind the scenes stuff, moving, moving, moving. And then they would come oh, out for a few seconds. They would do some lines. Then they would go away. And then it was moving, moving, moving this, this, and that. And, but the thing was, that was fascinating is that I really wish that they kept it. I was kind of not disappointed. It was a good movie, but Ryan Reynolds was improving all of his lines. It was hilarious. Wow. He, every scene that he was supposed to like say take four he would change the line again and so but i thought some of the ones that he said were so much funnier than the one that they kept i don't know if they kept the original script you know of course i'm just sitting there i don't know anything but it was like it was fascinating also there was a bull in the scene of course there's no bull where when they're shooting it so to see it added in was like so fascinating like how in the world do they make this bull look so real like they're really with the bull like it is so it's so amazing and um so it's it's gotta be cool like you said and funny to like be a part of that like in real life you're just you're actually part of the scene but how did you get into acting in in the first place i mean you've been doing it for many years now and you went to school at university of syracuse is that right and then but you didn't go for acting is that is that correct i don't know no industrial design i'm a painter painter. beautiful oh thank you so so i know i went to i didn't want to go to college i mean i didn't want to do anything i mean i still don't i i don't want to be an actor (laughs) i i still don't want to be an actor okay uh i'm not an actor uh, I can do it, but I can't do, I, I can't be Ryan Reynolds or, you know, DJ or whatever. So, I, I mean, I can do it because I can do it, but it's not because I love doing it or I want to do it. I can just, you know, some people can buy their shoelaces. Some people can't, you know. I, uh, so I, I did it because the money was was good and they wanted me. You know, I, yeah. there's somebody say audition for that or or because I was in the committee. 
the committee was an improv group, like Second City. Yeah. So, you know, people come and see the show. We're funny. I mean, we improv- improvised. It was our theater. So, uh, you know, a, a director would come in, local, San Francisco, local director, making small little movies or film shorts, nothing Hollywood. And they would say, hey, you want to be in my movie? You know, you're funny. I see you on, up on the stage. Why don't you be in the movie, do this part? And I go, yeah, okay. Because, you know, I was an improver and he wanted me to do the scene. So he's going to give me money. I'll do it. And they kept on doing that. I was in San Francisco in the committee for 10 years and 10 years. They did a lot of movies up in San Francisco, not being an actor, a movie actor, but being an improv actor. And then they would come in and see me on the. Well, well, when everybody went down to L.A., the the committee, the, the entire committee went down to L.A. at different times, one at a time, two a week, one a week. And then finally everybody went. And I was kind of left there with a, a third or fourth generation company, which wasn't as funny as the original guys and girls. I went down too, you know, because it just wasn't fun anymore. I didn't have my my, my improv mates, you know, the people who I right. grew up with in 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 improv. Yeah, we had a, we had a connection, so we could tumble and we could just make. Make bizarre choices, and you know my partner would go along with it and make it right. better. But a third or fourth company wasn't up to that uh, level, so I went down there to be an actor, a movie actor, but not because I wanted to. Everybody else, all my friends were down there; they were making much more money than being on stage, you know, in San Francisco. Yeah. So I, I did it, and I could do it. So I just kept on doing it. But um, I can tell you, it was never, you know, I got an agent. So he would say, hey, I got an audition for you. Uh, Yeah, but I I was going to go for a bike ride. (laughs) Well, yeah, but this is, uh, I mean, no, yeah, that's what was going on. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're like, no, I'm. I'm, I mean, this is an interruption of my day. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean an audition? Where is it? In the valley. In the, in the valley? That's like a 45-minute drive. He says, yeah, and you got to get down there now because they're closing in an hour and a half. Oh, man. So I'd have to, you know, all right, fine. So that that's, you know, so that's the yin and the yang. I would go in, I'd do, you know, in some some part. that I'd be like, Oh, that was, yeah, you're so good in that. That's really great. But yeah, but I wanted to, I had a bike ride. I was going to go, you know, I was going to do a 10-miler, you know, I looked so I, I never it never left me that that dichotomy of my day and I like to write I like to paint I like to hang out yeah. I don't like to work I don't like jobs I don't like that so uh, I like to do podcasts this is my house you know I'm doing I don't have to go anywhere I don't have to get dressed uh-huh. up so th- that that's what I liked about about show business was what people didn't see the 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 mistakes and all that stuff yeah so let me ask you your art is really gorgeous do you sell it online or do you go to galleries or do you just do it for fun or what do you do i just do it for fun okay Uh, i mean i have i have a website called the real larry hankin but the 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 paint like that one is i think uh that's five hundred dollars and that one's three hundred dollars i mean nobody has five hundred dollars or three hundred dollars no, people I mean, do, I, I Larry. 
Well, they're, 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 they're up there, and uh, nobody buys them, and uh, I like them, you know. They're beautiful. Uh, but the, the real Larry Hankin. Uh, you know, you can get any size you want, and they okay. get cheaper as you get smaller. You can get one that big for a couple of bucks. But uh, they're, they're, that's, what they're, that's the size they're supposed to be. Uh, so, uh, by the way, I didn't really answer that last question about how I got started. You wanted to know how I got started, yeah, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, um, like I say, I didn't want to be uh, in show business at all. I didn't know. I li I lived. I grew up in a very cloistered family surroundings. I didn't know anything. I, I was very sheltered. Uh, we lived in Far Rockaway and. My father was an accountant. My mom was a housewife. And they didn't know from anything. They didn't want to know from anything. And they didn't want me to know from anything. So the only way, I didn't know. But it, so when I went to college, I thought I was going to a design school. You know, industrial design, I thought. Design. No, that's it's calculus and math and engineering, industrial design. So, but I was a good student, you know, I was an A student. I mean, because once I get into something, I just don't want to be the last one, you know? I don't want I don't want to be in the middle of the pack. Okay. I, I want to be, you know, up there, up front. So I, I would really, even though I didn't, I didn't want to be one, I, well, here we are in Syracuse. I want to be, I want to hang out with my fraternity brothers, but I got to go to class. Just same thing with, you know, I, I don't want to. You wanted to ride to your bike. Actor. Yeah, I want to ride my bike. It was the same thing. So I finally, when I graduated, I just called, my best friend was Carl Gottlieb, who wrote Jaws. I mean, he didn't write it then. He wow. was to write that later on, many years later. But he was my best friend back then in college. And I said, uh, "Hey, uh, I don't want to go to Detroit and design cars. Where are you going? We were going to graduate at the same time." He was in the, the drama department. He, I said, so he said, I'm going to Greenwich Village. And where are you going? I said, well, I'm supposed to go to Detroit and design cars, but Greenwich Village sounds a lot better. You want a roommate? And he said, yeah, I could use one. I said, okay, let's go. So we hopped in a car. I think I bought one for $35, a wow. transportation vehicle. And uh, we, uh, we, we drove home, I guess. I don't know where we drove. I don't know. We had that car. Oh, uh, well, anyway, we got into New York. We, we got an apartment in New York. Oh, yeah. We drove from Syracuse down to New York. I shipped everything to my house. And I told my mom and dad that I'd be home for the holidays, but I was actually going to live with Carl in Greenwich Village. And we lived in, on Long Island, so it wasn't, I wasn't moving very far away from home. But it was another, it was another world. Greenwich Village in the 60s was not Far Rockaway, Long Island, in my house. You couldn't get further apart about anything. I mean, it was it was hippies, it was rock and roll, it was uh, marijuana, it was street. Um, and I was, you know, middle class Jewish, shul, you know, synagogue, religion. It just blew my mind. I, I wow. just couldn't get my head around it. But I loved it, and I wanted to be part of it. 
you know. So I got on the stage. They had these, uh, what do you call it, uh, three-minute uh, open mic nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I joined that. Well, here's the thing. Carl, when we got down there, we had rent to pay. Now, the only rent we had to pay was, I think, Carl may, Carl says it was $75 a month, uh, which is pretty cheap. I think it was 150 Okay. I, I'm not sure. Maybe he was think it was his 75 and my 75 But it was really cheap. It was a five, uh, uh, four or five uh, floor walk up, no elevator. You know, a really cheap apartment, man. It was just very small. One bedroom, I slept in a in an alcove, and he slept in the bedroom. And uh, the bathtub was in the kitchen. That that was (laughs) really amazing. That was what? That's how small it was. Jeez, Louise. Yeah, the the bathroom was just a bathroom. Okay. Yeah, just no, the toilet. Toilet. Well, well, just, uh, I think now I we we had we haven't got this right, and I can't remember it straight. But I think there was a shower in the bathroom, and and that was it. Uh, and I think, yeah, there was a, sh- a shower in the bathroom, but there was a bathtub in the kitchen which had a covering, you know, just a metal covering that's supposed to be on it. And so we would store stuff on it. You couldn't sit at it because it was a bathtub, you know, with the iron, with the with the lion's claws, the feet. It was a tub, wow. you know, that you could move in and out. So you couldn't sit at it because you, your knees had hit the tub, you know. So we would store stuff on it. And then if we had wanted to take a bath, you'd have to take everything off, take the cover off, get in. And the door to the apartment was faced the tub. <laughs> so, oh so, you know, there was a little hallway of about four feet. Do- door opened, little hallway. Then there was a kitchen door, no, no door, uh-huh. doorway. And there was a tub. And, and So one day, I mean, it was bound to happen. We, we just figured it was not going to be me, or that's what I figured. <laughs> but, you know, we, we would take baths as opposed to showers because we had a bathtub and it was just so in the kitchen. I thought it was funny to take a bath in the kitchen. Yeah. It was just bizarre. So I was taking a bath and he had gone out. And then, you know, I hear the key in the door and he comes in and he's got a girl with him. And I'm <laughs> sitting oh! in the bathtub. And I thought, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? And he goes, oh, yeah, well, this is, you know, Shirley. I go, hi, Shirley, how you doing? <laughs> uh, so I uh, just go in the living room. It was just through the doorway to the left. Just turn to your left, go in the bed, living room, and I'll be out in, in a second, you know. So they went in the bedroom, uh, into the parlor, and I got dressed and, you know, toweled off and put everything back and. So that was that was kind of a, a a funny a fun apartment, but he had a job right away. Carl had a job right away oh, in a newspaper, good. just a local newspaper, you know, four four or five blocks, you know, one of those local newspapers. And I didn't have any job. I mean, I didn't. I, I was I came I was bar mitzvahed, you know. I I didn't know anything. <laughs> so uh, I got a job. Bussing a bar uh, from uh, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. You know, I clean up the peanut shells and clean up the bar from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. So I had my entire day and night free. So I would go to it was Greenwich Village. So I would go to the open mic nights and just sit there until 2 a.m. or or until the coffee house closed. 
And I'd wander around for an hour or so, or maybe go to the bar and hang out for the last hour or two. And then I'd clean up. And then at six in the morning, and I would be stealing food from the grill part of the bar because I didn't have any money and I couldn't pay the rent with the money I was making busting the bar. So I would steal my food or purloin my food or borrow my food. I, you know, I just, it was, I was hungry. And so I would go into the kitchen and take stuff. And I wore a raincoat mm -hmm. so I could, uh, you know, uh, uh, Harpo Marx. That's where I got it from. Oh, wow. Harpo Marx. You know, he would open his raincoat and all spoons would fall out, yeah. you know. So <laughs> but that's what I did. I wore a raincoat and I just stuck stuff that didn't bulge, you know, like a rasher of bacon. It was flat and square. I put it in my back and I would stand by the door at, two, at uh, 6 a.m. And the uh, day chef would come in in the morning. He'd open the door and I would get out, you know, just uh, but I saw the open mic nights and I had nothing to do. So I stopped until I go, did the bar thing. So I got up on stage and I was getting really funny because I was a funny guy. Yeah. I mean, just talking, I was funny. So I just got up on the stage and I had a very good learning curve. You know, I just picked it up just like that. I was much funnier than everybody else because it was an open mic night. I mean, you know, who's funny on open mic night? You know, just <laughs> one out of a hundred, right. you know, and I happened to be the one. And then one day this uh, guy comes up to me. I, and I just, I was just doing it. I wasn't thinking about, it was something to do until the bar opened, uh, until the bar closed. I wasn't thinking of being a professional or anything. Uh, and one day this guy comes in, uh, his name was, um, I don't know what's, uh, I can't read. Wow. I can't even remember the guy's name. He came in, he said, you want to, uh, I'm an, I'm a, a manager, you want a manager? And I go, oh, yeah, representation. That's what everybody talked about in the village, not getting a job or being famous or a lot of money. They wanted representation. We all wanted rep. That, that was like a magic word. Anytime, anytime anybody got a representation, they would brag at the, you know, when we got <laughs> together at the bar or something. Hey, man, I got representation. Whoa! He's, you, know, you become a professional. Now you're a professional. You could get booked. Yeah, out of, out of the coffee house, you could get booked into a nightclub. That oh, was right. the that was the big deal. So one day the guy says, uh, "You got a manager?" And I said, "Representation." And he goes, so "Yeah, representation. I'm a manager." You know, well, okay, you want a manager? Yes. Can, you, how about me? Yes. He says, "Okay, I'll come in every once in a while." But your manager is, um, let's see. Uh, oh man, that's so. But he was big. What he was, was he was Woody Allen's manager. Wow. The key. And uh, when I had my bragging rights that night, you know, with, with the guys, and I said, hey, I got represented. Now, I didn't know who he was. I, okay. I didn't know. Jack Rollins is his name. So I didn't know who Jack Rollins was. He said, no, if anybody asks you, your, your, your manager is Jack Rollins. I'll come in every once in a while and check on you. But keep up the good work. Okay. And he left. Okay. So that night, I said, hey, you know, I got a man. Oh, well, who do you have? You know, so I don't know. I, you know, it's uh, Jack Rollins. Jack Rollins? You got Jack Rollins? Uh, yeah. That's Woody <laughs> Allen's manager. Whoa. Now, Woody Allen was just starting to hit, man. You know, he was yeah. uptown. He was getting the nightclubs. He, he was doing like a, an Ed Sullivan show. Oh. 
So, uh, yeah. So I thought, wow. And then he started booking me in nightclubs. So I was in, I was in show business. That, so that's how I got into show business by, by, you know, waiting to, waiting to bust the bar at 2 a.m. I, you know, I just awesome. tripped. I just fell into show business. So then, you know, I, I got into, um, Critical thinking, humor. Richie Pryor, George Carlin, Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce, I would go see Lenny Bruce all the time. I thought he was great. And I started doing stuff like Lenny Bruce and Richie Carlin, uh, Richie Pryor and George Carlin. Now, I didn't know about the blowback. I knew Lenny was getting busted, but I didn't really know what for. I thought it was drugs. Mm. Well, he was being busted for drugs because they'd find the drugs, but he was being busted for being funny on stage in a paying for a paying audience. He would say fuck and crap and he would curse and talk about politics and religion. That's why he was being busted. Mm. And then they would find drugs and then, oh man, we got to, you know. So I was being harassed by the police. I started being pulled off the stage by the police. Oh my. Uh, yeah, in Washington, D.C., you know, Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, I was uh, pulled off the stage by 20, count them, 20 policemen for saying, and I didn't even curse. I said I was pretending I was God. So right away, religion was a, a no-no. I was talking about religion. I said, okay, I'm God, you know, just like that. I had a, a microphone microphone and here's my microphone <laughs> my, my microphone and I, I said I'm God and here's a little guy on, on the thing you know I said okay I got this bit for you and I said, this little guy and he's where's your clothes I said to the little guy where's your clothes and I said this is all I said I said I'm God uh, who, who are you oh you're a little man okay and uh, what's that between your legs that's what I said. And 20 policemen pulled me off the stage. Whoa. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And what it turned out, what had happened was, this is an arena. It's not about 2,000 students, Washington University. In the beginning of my set, I had to do 20 minutes. I was opening for the Love and Spoonful. I had to do 20 minutes. In the beginning, I think I said something like, shit or fuck or something untoward okay. something no no word but you know in passing like hey what's going on whatever okay and then i did my funny stuff and blah blah, mm -hmm. blah blah and then i started to get into the critical thinking and they stopped laughing the kids stopped laughing two thousand kids just were stunned maybe i think it was a religious university maybe that was it they said that, that was weird and I was into the critical thinking stuff. And then they started to boo. Oh, no. Instead of laughing, boo, get off the stage. But they, no, they didn't say get off the stage. What they said was, this is weird. The funny stuff, do the funny stuff. We don't want to hear that. And they're shouting that, you know. So I stopped and I said, what's wrong? I said, I just like I became Larry Hankin on the stage. You know, yeah. Like, what? What? I, I just, all facade, just dropped away. And they sensed it, and they they just shut up, you know. So it was now me talking to two thousand students, just 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 uh, conversation. Look, you people are all college students. 
You're supposed to like this. You know, you're supposed to be able to curse on stage. What? Why are you booing? You, you shouldn't boo. You're a college student, you know. <laughs> and they said, do the funny stuff. So, so they were yelling back and forth, you know, but not, <laughs> not, not weird, not, not bad, not, you know, just individually. Yeah, do the funny stuff. Like what they were talking back and forth. So I said, okay, fine. Uh, and then they, they quieted down. But I went right back to the critical thinking stuff. And like I tricked them. Like, you know, I said I was going to be funny and do the not funny, the the clean stuff. And instead, I just went back to doing what I was doing. Hey, what, what's that between your legs? Well, they got angry at that. They thought I'm dicking with them. You know, I'm, I'm just screwing around with them. So they, now they started to pull off the, um, the, the armrests. It was an old theater, you know. They started pulling up these wooden armrests and throwing them at me. Oh get off the stage, goodness. man. Yeah, no, it's really a riot started. Get off the stage. They throw the first three rows are pulling off the thing. Damn it. If one of them hit me, I would have to go to the hospital. I mean, wow. it was just really weird. And uh, so I, I said, okay, okay. Because I didn't I didn't want that to happen. So I said, okay, I'll do the clean stuff. So I have clean stuff. I mean, you know, you have a lot of stuff in your head. So I did the clean stuff. And all of a sudden, they just changed and went back to laughing and having a great time. So I had about 10 more minutes to go. And I thought, I'm going to just... And, and I was getting really good laughs. It was just like nothing ever happened before him. It was just, hey, great, you know, ha, ha, ha. So when I got a really big laugh, ha, 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 I said... He just immediately went, okay, here's the little guy. <laughs> what is that between your legs? And they just oh, fucking no. went weird. So uh, the lights went on. They turned the lights on in the, in the uh, arena. And then you, I could see the guys in the back were pulling off their armrests and passing them down to the guys in oh, front who boy. didn't have any more armrests. Well, they threw all their armrests. So the guys in the back <laughs> are passing them down. And now the cops are coming down. So what happened was the first time I got dirty, the dean who was in the back called the police. By the time the police came, I was doing clean stuff. So they waited back there and the dean said, this is what I heard, that the dean said, wait, if he does any dirty stuff, pull him off the stage. And then when I went back to doing the, the hey, what's that between your legs? The, the dean said, pull him off the stage. So that's on, on both sides. Ten cops on the wall aisles came down and very nicely, very gentlemanly said, you have to get off the stage, you know, and they just put a hand on each shoulder, cop on each shoulder. Not not rough, just like that. You know, you have to get off the stage. And I said, there's 20 cops. And the, and the audience is cheering. Yay, yay. <laughs> and the 11 spoonful are in the wings saying, no, no, don't pull up the stage. Do the dirty stuff. Larry, do the dirty stuff. Because they wanted a riot. They wanted the publicity. So they said, no, leave them out. So they're really shouting and everybody. And I, so I just walked off the stage. They took me backstage. And then they left two guys guarding me, two cops guarding me. That's just ridiculous. But this is what I liked about show business. This is the only thing that I liked about show business. These kinds of things. They go, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Two cops. And then the other 18 cops just left, man. They didn't want to be there. I don't think they even knew why they took pulled me off the stage. They just got off. And yeah, I said, why are you guarding me? You know, I'm backstage. They're setting up now because I had 10 minutes to go. Yeah. 
they, they you know, got to get it set up. The curtains were closed. I said, why are you standing here? You know, I'm, I'm off the stage. It's over. Well, well, what are you doing? So they said, um, we have instructions from the dean to guard you until the loving spoonfuls start to play so you don't run out there and start again. I said, are you serious? Oh, my. They go, yeah. Yeah, we are. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay. So we just stood there. The three of us just, I didn't, you know, it's like this. And <laughs> until the love and spoonful started to play. And as soon as the love and spoonful started to play the first note, they just walked away. They just split. So that's how I got into show business. Now I thought, and love and spoonful thought, wow, the rest of the tour is going to be like this. But it wasn't. The rest of the tour was like a normal college audience and, and everything was fine. But that was always in the back of everybody's mind is when are the cops going to show up again? And they did later on when I was not doing arenas, but nightclubs, you know, people would come at me with beer bottles. Get the fuck off the stage. I was opening for the love uh, for mm. uh, Kingston trio. And they would go, get out, get the fuck, get the fuck off the stage with a beer bottle upside down in his hand, hmm. walking across the dance floor. So I, I quit, you know, I said, okay, I can't do this anymore. You know, it's not fun. I'm not a, I'm not an actor. I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'm just a funny guy who's trying to make a living, pay the rent. What the hell is going on? So then my Jack Rowland, I called Jack. I said, look, Jack, you're booking me in these places. Cops are pulling me off the stage. They think I'm Lenny Bruce. I said, you know, you got Woody Allen is doing the, the the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. You got me in the boonies getting pulled off the stage by the police. I mean, what's going on, Jack? <laughs> so Jack said, well, Woody is not doing what you're doing. You know, He's got television humor. He's not doing critical thinking stuff, Larry. If you want to get on television, you got to do television humor. I said, what the hell is television humor? He said, well, it's clean. It's clean. You can't yeah. curse. You can't do religious stuff. So I said, I don't. He said, you got to write funny, clean stuff. And I, I told him, and this is the truth. I didn't write. I don't write. To this, well, I learned to write. But I wasn't writing. I was making that stuff up and then keeping it. I had a great memory. I had a photographic memory. Okay. So I would make it up and if it was funny. I just keep it. I wouldn't change it. I would add on. So I would have like 20 minutes of good material, but it was never written. It was honed over each time I did it. You know, you cut a little. So, so he said, well, why don't you join Second City? You can do the same stuff as Richie and Lenny. But they own the theater and they throw the bottle guy out and the cops can't come in. So that's what I did. And that's how I got into really the show, show business of acting. I joined Second City. I auditioned, got in and boom. Now, now I'm an actor. But how I got there, I couldn't really figure it out. I mean, I, I told <laughs> you how I did it, but it was over, you know, two years that all this happened and it was just one thing leading to another and i was making money and paying rent so i couldn't get out <laughs> oh my god and here i am now talking to you Yay. years later you so, know, so people don't understand how freaking difficult stand-up is so oh, i literally 
it's so funny because I'm doing a podcast and I'm doing so many other things and I'm starting to become a speaker and all this stuff. But I was so petrified of public speaking that I failed speech class in high school because I wouldn't go up and do it. So when I did stand up, I was like, you know what? I turned 40 this year. So I'm like, I am going to face my fears. So I started, I took classes and I literally was going to throw up. So we added that to my set because they helped you build a five minute set. It's my material. Whoa, I write it. Wait, 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 hold on. Let me just interrupt just for a second. When I started with Jack Rollins, who was Woody Allen's manager, yeah. he was in a nightclub. Woody was in a nightclub in Greenwich Village, and I was three minute stand up stuff. Uh-huh. And he said, I'm going to get you to open for Woody. So oh. he booked me into Woody's nightclub and i opened for woody for the first you know month cool but here's why i'm telling you this i witnessed woody every night going into the bathroom and throwing up wow woody allen was was oh man he had such stage fright i mean once he got on the stage he was fine but he would pace and he would get all white, and he would go into the bathroom, and I'd hear him throwing up. Oh! And then, he, and then, and the 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 owner of the nightclub would come out and stand by the door, so no one would go go in while Woody was throwing up. She just so it was a woman, and then Woody would come out, and she'd walk him Aww. to the to the stage, and then he would go on, and he would kill. Yeah. And it would be be funny. Okay, so yeah, go ahead. You would see so- we're throwing. Yeah. So no, I didn't physically throw up. So what happened was I was writing this joke about how I got, uh, I finally got up the nerve to get diagnosed with anxiety and ADHD by Dr. TikTok. And I'm so grateful because everything makes me anxious. And so she's like, well, how do you feel? She asked me, you know, they give you feedback and she's like, well, how does it make you feel? And I was like, well, it makes me feel like I'm going to throw up pass out and shit my pants. And she said, you need to add that. So add it. So I did. And everybody loved it because like, it literally makes me feel like that. So, <laughs> so it, it's, you know, that's a good thing about, so the, the comedian that took, taught the class, she just was on America's Got Talent. She's amazing. Lace Larrabee. And then her, she has a podcast too, and it's called Cheaty's podcast, but her uh, co-host Catherine Blanford was just on the tonight show. So speaking about those things and seeing her and I know her. So she actually was nervous and I've never seen her nervous. She opens for, I do this one place in Atlanta. I'm in Atlanta area, laughing skull and it's open mic, but it's very scheduled and very uh, structured that there are some famous comedians that come that just want to practice new material and stuff. And, but, um, it's so great because she hosts a lot and I've never seen her nervous. And I was watching the tonight show and I could see it in her. She would giggle a little bit and she would do those things. And I was like, dang, even she's getting nervous. So you're right. But it's it's scary, you know, I mean, like people get stuff thrown at them like you. Oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And like people get really injured and it's not that serious. It's words. OK, I mean, I don't agree. First of all, nobody should be racist. So that's out of the window. We should never do that. That's not acceptable. But if you're just saying like. People are telling jokes. You shouldn't physically harm them. You know, I mean, like their words. But anyway, I digress because I I get on a tangent. I mean, I literally like and I would be uh, the only female sometimes at the open mics. And it got to the point where one day I just like this one guy was amazing. And he was like improving this whole thing. And I said, you know what? I'm glad I didn't have to go up after him because 
I literally like was gonna just you know make fun of a male comedian and they're like do it and like because the guy was an impressionist and I said well I'm gonna do my impression of a male comedian so I did and um it was like the thing about between the legs because that's what they talk about a lot I'm like dude like all the time but anyway uh so you know comedy actually is so helpful and I think like how you started was amazing because improv and people watching you and you like are literally just I mean it's so intelligent people don't understand how smart it is to just come up with stuff and it makes sense and so all the movies that you've done like a lot of movies is there anybody that you were really like so excited to even be in their presence or you were like impressed by them or were a fan of them um yeah, uh, the only one that I could think of, <clears throat> because I was a stand-up comedian, so I mean, I had flushed all that nervousness, stage fright, speaking in front of an audience. I, I flushed that all out for years on the road, you know, being a stand-up comedian, being in the committee, being in Second City, and then... So I was eased into it because it was gradual stage. I'd be a stand-up comedian for a while and get the nerves out of that, then go on to Second City and be an improv, and they would teach you, and you'd go to classes mm -hmm. and, and, and the committee. So I would be taught and handheld along the way. So when I finally got to acting with Clint Eastwood and Brian Cranston, awesome. uh, yeah, I was – awed by the, uh, them because they know they knew what they were doing and they'd been doing it for years so i i used it as a learning platform not not as a nervous platform i i would i wouldn't be nervous because i would want to be near them in the scene with them and paying attention to what they were doing which you know kind of worked worked around the nervousness it just you know i i the focus was not on nerves. It was on what, what is he doing? How does he do that? Well, how does he learn his lines? You know, what, what's going on? The only time was with Brian Cranston. I got nervous and um, I forget my lines. You go up on your lines. Uh, but even then I learned something and I was working with Brian on uh, breaking bed <clears throat> and I was doing fine. No nerves or anything, even though, I knew Brian was really an amazing actor. I mean, he's really yeah. an amazing. Uh, but I was working with him, and I only had a very small scene with him in the beginning. Uh, I did two shows. So the second show, no no nerves at all. And the first show, uh, it didn't really matter. I, I didn't work with him that long. It, 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 it didn't. It was just another job. The first time. Second time, I had a major scene with Brian Cranston and I was nervous, but it was only five lines. Wow. So I thought if I just uh, focus on the five lines, don't think about Brian, don't think about the scene, just, you know, lock in on the words and your character. So that's what I did. And we did one take and it was just really great. I just felt it was great. Brian felt it was great. The cameraman, the director, everybody said it was great. They said one take. And, and even when I looked at it weeks later on the TV screen, I thought, yeah, man, I nailed it. That was really great. Okay. 
So everybody thought I was cool because yeah. we did a great scene. So now in the afternoon, I had to do a longer scene with him. And that scared me because when I get nervous, I forget my lines. Oh. And you don't forget your lines with a major star. I mean, it just that's what I thought anyway. I mean, yeah. and I did. I, I went up on my lines because I was nervous. And he got angry. Brian got angry. Yeah. So um, he, he, I mean, it was a passive aggressive anger, but it was an anger nevertheless. He got, hey, Larry, get your lines down. You know, and he, he, he said it seriously to me. Larry, get your lines down. So he did it again, and I went up again. I went up three times. And each time, and on the third time, he wouldn't even talk to me. I mean, in the scene. Oh, my. He would hardly even look at me. He would just say his lines like that, you know. So I thought, wow, man. So I just stopped because we kept on doing it over and over because I was going up on my lines, you know, yeah. three times. So the third time I said, excuse me, I got to talk to the director. Now, I, I, it was all on me. I had forgotten my life. So I go over to the director and I said, hey, look, um, Brian is getting really angry out there. Um, am I doing something really bad? Uh, because, I mean, he's really giving me some bad stuff. And the director said, he said, well, first of all, Larry, you got to know one thing. He was very kind to me. He said, first of all, Larry, all actors go up on their lines. Yeah. And second of all, we're losing the light. Fuck Brian. Get back out there and let's get this done. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and I thought, okay. So he just like, Fuck your nervousness, man. Yeah. What do you, you know, I just went out there and I, fine. I didn't go up on my lines at all. I mean, he just scared me into my focus, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Fuck Brian. I mean, that's just stuck with me forever. Aww. Anytime I get nervous at all, I just hear that in the back of my mind. FB. FB. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. That's you know, hilarious. So, yeah. So I say again, it's the, those now, I gotta say this, that I run into that a lot. You know, these great stories that when you're going through them, they're, they're kind of awful or, you know, you're chasing a monkey or you forget your lines or whatever. But in the telling of the stories, they're, they're, they're really great. It adds a little soup song, a pepper to, to the greatness of Hollywood, you know, these, these fuck-ups. But um, I, I think... I think it's just the way that I see Hollywood and other actors, you know, they just talk about, oh, it's really great. And you get a car and they pick you up and you get to do this part and that part. And it's all. And I'm, I'm not into that crap, man, <laughs> because my life in Hollywood is what these stories I'm telling you, you know, the nerve, the nervousness, the the the. The forgetting, the monkeys, the animals, the cats, the whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's it's that's the life that I want to talk about. That it's not, you know, like even shooting a movie in sequence. It doesn't happen that nope, way. Nope. Not at all. So you gotta think, you know, okay, this is the middle of the of the movie, and we're starting in the middle of the movie, and then tomorrow I gotta shoot the beginning. So I got to think, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I doing today? And how does 
tomorrow lead up to today? And now you got to think like that. How does tomorrow lead up to today? And that's that's weird in itself, but <laughs> you got to go into movies and TV things doing that. Uh, so to me, it's a it's a lark and a laugh, L A F F. But I can't take it serious. Hollywood, I I don't. I it's just I don't get it. I mean, that's what I want on my on my on my on my tombstone. I didn't get it. <laughs> okay hey if you can write your own tombstone go the hell and do it <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Whoever I, mean, I mean yeah but uh, but that's the, just hollywood it's not life i mean yeah, i yeah. i guess i should say it's hollywood yeah, but, but even even life, life yeah. you know it's, it's uh i can't take hollywood seriously i never did and you know sometimes you get in fights about it because other people do I mean, directors do. Some don't. So, mm -hmm. Some some are cool. Uh, when I did this Escape from Alcatraz, um, the director of that, Siegel, Don Siegel, I mean, he he would laugh with me. He knew it was it was all ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I mean, he would just say, "Hey, Larry, uh, I don't know." I th I'd say, like, "Why are you putting the camera here?" He'd say, "Well." I don't know. I think I'm going to get fired. <laughs> I'd say, okay. <laughs> okay. I'd say, uh, Larry, because I always come on set uh, in my uniform, in my costume, which was just a blue shirt, uh, jeans, and black shoes and white socks. So I'd wear it every day, even if I wasn't going to be on the set. It was Alcatraz. Yeah. I would just go out onto the island and hang out. So he would, but I would hang out near the camera because I want to learn. Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to learn. So every once in a while, Don Siegel, the director, would say, hey, Larry, come here. Oh, what? Get in the scene. Uh, what What am I doing? I don't know. Get in there. Why am I in there? I need another buddy in there. Get in there. What should I do? Do anything you want. Get in there. Where are you? <laughs> I said, this is, I love making movies this way. <laughs> it's, you know, uh, it was like, it's like, uh reynolds you know uh he he was improvising too yeah. see when you do a lot of movies and you get above a certain pay grade you can do what brian reynolds was doing and improvise and the director the same way he would play he would say hey get in there larry come on you know because he liked me don yeah, siegel but... liked me awesome. and he wanted me to be in the movie so he'd get in there i go what and if i say hey you know uh i, I i'm up i go up on my lines uh, it's uh, he would he would holler at me, but like he would put me on all the time. Don Siegel on, on Escape from Malcolm and 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 uh, Clint Eastwood too. See, that's how they awesome. did their movies. They would put everybody on. They would, you know, uh, I'd say, well, why are you doing this? He say, well, because in the old days, Don Siegel would say, because he used to direct great black and white movies. Wow. He'd say, in the old days, you know, if it was a close-up, uh, and he would say some star, if it was a close-up on the star, because back in the old days, in the black and white days, we had big lights and, and no air conditioning. So it was really hot on sets. It's different now. But back then, if there was a close-up, and, you know, we had to do it a couple of times, then they would take their pants off. Oh. Why would they take their pants off? Well, because 
the camera's only up to here, you know. So this, and it's really hot. So they would take all their clothes off. I mean, it'd be in their underwear or something like that. But, but I mean, they would, in other words, that's what was going on back then. And, and then they say, well, if you remember, if you see all these pictures, the black and white pictures of making black and white movies back in the black and white days, the crews wore suits. Remember, right? Yeah. Did you ever oh. see those black and white movies? Yes, I Well, have. you know how hot that would be in, in, with all those big lights? It was yeah. amazing. So everybody would work in their underwear. The oh. crews would work in their underwear. The actors were not because it was funny, it was because it was needed. It was hot on those sets. So that's so to keep it lively and keep everybody's spirits up, they would put everybody, they would put each other on. And Don Siegel would tell me stories about the stuff that was going on in the old days. And now in the new days, I just want to carry that on. But nobody has a sense of humor now. It's all money. It's all. Everybody's an accountant. You know, we're losing the light. We're losing the money. You know, everybody's an accountant. Every director is an accountant. So, you know, it's. it's oh, I boy. <laughs> I feel like that's with lots of stuff. So I'm a nurse as well as lots of stuff. So um, like, I'm, well, I'm, you know, uh, I'm a nurse now. Yeah. Um, actively. And um, well, not today. I'm off, oh, but <laughs> the next. But 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 being a nurse, you're around people who are sick, and that's serious. And some people yeah. die, and you have to lighten that up. That that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So there I, may I, be a lot of funny shit going on that if you weren't in that world, you'd say, "Hey, why are you fooling around? People are sick, man, because it's too heavy." Yeah. That's why. Yeah, actually, it helps the patients. So I like right. to talk to them. Right. I love to like, you know, for example, one just got diagnosed with cancer and yeah. and she found out. So she's actually a nurse as well. And she's like, how am I supposed to work? She's the breadwinner and this and that. And she's like, am I going to die? And and she's in her 40s and I'm 40. And so sometimes all you can do is like hold their hand and try to make them laugh and try to distract them. And that's the thing with the, with the field, though, is that everything's about money now. And it's so freaking frustrating because it's like I can't even take care of the patients how I want to because it's so money focused. And it's like, hurry up, get them out. Got to get another one in. Got to get them out. Nope, nope. Somebody's coming from the over. Nope, nope, nope. Don't worry about this. And so it, it's kind of frustrating because it's like I have a good I have a heart and I love people. And so I want to help people. And. And that's the reason why I started this show is because I wanted people to know that they're not alone. You know, I talk, I talk to everyone, people uh, that have been addicted to drugs, people that have been abused, people, whatever, or people that are wrote a book, people, you know, whatever, have successful businesses. But I want people to know that no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. Somebody else is going through it. And also I want closed minded people to, to open their ears and and eyes and hearts and just listen because we all have something in common we all deserve the best no matter if we made stupid choices yeah people sometimes get on drugs or or do something bad you know I interviewed a guy that was in prison almost 14 years and he now mentors kids to help them not go to prison right that's wonderful like we could make mistakes but if we can take that and just like you you're taking your experiences and you're putting it in a book to 
maybe help the younger generation that's going through acting. Hey, shit happens, right? Like sometimes a light's going to explode. It's all good. But that's the thing we can do is like if we can, you know, I've been through a lot. I witnessed my brother commit suicide via telephone. I heard him commit suicide. And, you know, I, I've really been through a lot that helps me in my nursing, helps me be empathetic, helps me as a person. And I want to be there for people as well. So if I can take that trauma or whatever and and flip it and and say, hey, guess what? You're going to be OK. We're all going to be OK. Right. So it's all good. Yeah, she got clawed by a cat, but she's a pro. She kept going, you know, so things happen. Shit happens. But. It's how we react to it, right? We can control how we react. So that's the whole thing with being a human in this world. It's like everything now is becoming so much money focused, like you said, or just like the numbers, right? And it's all about the numbers. And sometimes with technology, we lose the, the real connection with people. Just like you said with the improv group. It's the connection with each other. You guys can read each other. You can feel off of each other. You know the next move to make. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's the thing about, you know, I love technology. We're using it right now. <laughs> but it's also good to, like, speak to somebody one-on-one, -on -one, to have that connection, to touch their hand or just be like, hey, I'm here for you, you know. And um, you're so awesome. I absolutely love your different take on uh, – <laughs> so you're back – you're just giving us the the scenes, the – back uh what's back it called? Story. yeah there you go the background I, yeah the background i love that um i'm really appreciative for you talking to us it you're so awesome and i want to have you back on uh closer to september to talk about that yeah guy. yeah the book yeah so in your painting um where else can we find you do you have is that your only like website the real larry well there's a there, there's a patreon thing okay. uh larry hankins uh patreon slash larry hankin okay and if you go on there they have my uh i make uh films i make film shorts so my film shorts are on there awesome. i'm gonna pay uh put up uh, uh put up some some of my writing Okay. Uh, so there's two two places. The real LarryHankin.com is the paintings and some of my film shorts, and also biographies and stuff like that. That don't don't write to me. I have a very hard time answering mail. Okay. Uh, I, I just it's too just too many. I can't. I have to hire somebody. Is what's going to. Okay. So the real LarryHankin.com, and then Patreon slash Larry Hankin. And uh, there's more of my my stuff. So those are the two places you can find me. And then on Facebook, you know. Awesome. Just okay. Larry I want to ask you one more thing. So you talked about like, I didn't like it. I just wanted to pay my rent. What is your absolutely like favorite thing that's you that really explains who you are, be it the writing the screenplay or uh, the artistry like drawing painting or whatever what is really or the improv like what is you what explains you what do you feel the happiest doing the happiest uh, would be uh stand-up i i okay. love doing that. that's the best uh and just and just talking and then uh that that's the the, the show part of me it would be just doing stand-up that i write or, or makeup or improv 
And then the personal stuff is, is drawing because you can do that alone in writing. Writing and drawing is just sitting at home and writing or drawing. And I love it. And then I think my drawings are really good. And I think my writing is really good. But I would love to be able to support myself and just pay everything rent to support myself by writing and drawing. And then I would just love to get up on stage and do stand up. And I do it for free. See, that's the that's the thing about acting that that all producers know and all actors know and nobody else knows. And that is you would act for free. That's how much you love it. Yeah, you would act for free. That's why I would do stand up for free. I mean, I charge money, but <laughs> I, I'll do it for free. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then writing for, I'll do for free and painting I'll do for free and stand Acting, getting into a movie, no, you got to pay me money for that. <laughs> that, that, that. That I'll charge you yeah. as much as I can. That's but anything right. else, what I, what I want to do for free, that's that's who I am. I just want to do stuff you know, that I want to do. That's Play wonderful. guitar. Awesome. I see that. Yes. You're so creative. I was talking about actually with Brian, who also interviewed you on Beeline Entertainment. Shout out to him. And I love his energy. He's so cool. But he, we were talking earlier and saying like creative people are so amazing because there's just so much that's like in here, right? Like, like a squirrel, maybe <laughs> like, and we, we can do so many things and like, we just have to unleash it. And sometimes traumatic things unleash things that you didn't even know you could do. Like literally like people lost their jobs because of COVID and they're like, Hey, now I'm going to start this. Now I'm going to start a baking business. Didn't even know, you know, now I'm going to do this. And it really like that creative side of the mind, whichever, right. I don't know. Um, whatever side that is, I think it's right. I'm not sure anyway, but whatever that is, I love being around creative people. And that's what I loved about comedy as well is just the like feeding off of each other because everybody is. So I just comes up with the most amazing ideas that you're just like, wow, like, I had no clue, like, you know, and music, I've, um, you know, I was in the band and when I was a kid, my kids were in the band and I really love music as well. And so actually part of my life coaching program is going to be either, and this is a, um, silly, but probably to you. Cause you're like, what? But I actually wrote the intro of this podcast that it's a rap, like loosely a rap and I rap it and I love music and it makes me feel so good and free sometimes, you know, like just whatever you're feeling, just writing it down. And so I'm incorporating that into my life coaching. And actually a millionaire gave me this idea. He's a, like a real estate guru guy. And so he said, yeah, you need to be the rapping life coach. I'm like, what? But, um, but yeah, so in my life coaching, I'm adding either you were going to write a poem or a song or, or whatever, from just lines every week, we're going to write a little teeny thing and we're going to look at it and it's going to be something like tangible. Like you're just going to look at it and be like, wow, like I did that and be proud and be, be like accomplishment. So that's so amazing. I love that, you know, that you're capable of doing all those things though, right? You could pull it from anywhere and be like, yeah, today. Well, wait, 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 this, it's not capable. It's that I have to. You have has to, okay. nothing to do with capability. Okay. <laughs> I just have to. That's all. Uh, period. <clears throat> if you're capable, um, do it. Just but like do it. I, I got to get. I got to go. I, okay. I, I got to. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. I really appreciate you 
And uh, I hope you have a great day. And I'm again, I want to book you in a few months. So we can talk about your book. Cool. Thank you so much, Larry. You're so okay, awesome. Thank you. Have Danielle. a great day. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Authentic Points of View podcast. I hope that something you heard today changes your point of view. If you would like to share your views, please email me at authenticpointsofview at gmail.com or leave a comment on Facebook at Authentic Points of View Podcast. Remember, always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart. listening to authentic points of view podcast i hope that something you heard today changes your point of view if you would like to share your views please email me at authentic points of view at gmail.com or leave a comment on facebook at authentic points of view podcast remember always be mindful of other people's journeys and have open ears and an open heart